young guys uh, keeping me going lately? Oh, man. I I mean, still no kids here, but my parents tell stories of how I acted at that age. I can only imagine. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. For sure. <laughs> yes. Having kids is basically uh, when your parents can kind of sit back and go, now you're going to figure it out. Now you're going to understand everything. You know what you put us through. Yeah, I think I'm going to pay for it in a big way. So I'm mm-hmm. ready for it. Yes. Karma's a bitch. As they say. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, we, we are live. Um, I, I hit the button about a minute or two ago just to, to get us out there. We are live with Josh Larkey. Um, I'm excited about this episode. We got a lot of great stuff to cover. So uh, what we're going to do, I think, you know, since this is really almost more of a balling episode than anything, though we'll cover everything like we always do. We're going to throw on the ball intro right now and then uh, go from there and get going on the show. Go district. <laughs> A ball, bleep, a ball, bleep, a ball, bleep, bleep, ball, and I bleep, a ball, bleep, a ball, a ball, cause I bleep, 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 hey, bleeding a ball, defeated the ice, and see him at all, JD in the pies, I needed it all, I bleeded a lie, you bleeded a lie, not bleeded a lie, and that's what a goat do, facts, let me show you, happen to know, dudes, draft and they don't do bad, and they don't lose, make you wanna bleep, 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 it's the Go district boys giving you the business and no gimmicks the best ball drafts got me feeling like it's Christmas yeah. then it's Christmas all of a sudden and these riches came from nothing and I got this all from loving the district see I just drafted forget it I laugh at the critics they mad at the diddits I clap back my listeners see ballin' ain't a problem if you kick it with them off and I refresh the feet till autumn then I bleep 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 go All right, welcome Fantasyland. Great to have you again two nights in a row. Uh, had a great show last night with Adam Harstead, so if you haven't uh, had a chance to check that out, uh, fire it up on your podcast queue, get in there on the YouTube and take a look at it. And uh, tonight we're super excited to have Josh Larkey, uh, and he's gonna he's gonna be doing a lot of stuff with us, talking uh, pretty much everything related to best ball tournaments. Is round four, round five? I have, this is well, definitely, I mean, I, I haven't I guessed it on anything. One, more was, than, one was the tailgate episode. So that, that's oh. like, uh, that's like, you're like 3.5 or 4.5. So this, this is 3.5 or 4.5. I mean, I haven't yeah. been on anything else, even close to this. This is, as I say, every time it's my favorite podcast to come on, love hanging out with you guys, talking some football. So, I mean, what better way to, to get this Wednesday night going? I'm, I'm ready. Best ball is definitely my, my favorite format. So I'm excited. What's up to have you back, man? Yeah, and and since we last had you on, uh, there have been a few changes professionally for you. So you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the uh, the new gig and uh, and what kinds of things people can expect. So yeah, since we since I was last on the show, I now work at FTN, and I've got a, a best ball guide for underdog coming out sometime next week. So be on the lookout for that. That's pretty much been what's consumed the last few weeks of my time. Uh, I've done a lot of work with the, the FTN data product, a lot of stuff with how we're strategizing the FTN fantasy site and what we're going to do there. So 
just a lot of really fun stuff going on. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to do this full time and just kind of nerd out over all these football numbers and kind of do whatever research I, I feel like that I think will help give the listeners something actionable to take away and become better drafters, better with any type of strategy. So uh, that I, I am, I'm in my element. Feels good. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I I do think you're in your element over there. Uh, really liking the stuff that you've uh, you've put out so far. Uh, you know, seeing your your you know deep dives with uh, uh, Tyler on the the different teams has has been a lot of fun, as well as you know all the other work that you've been putting in. Uh, you know, some stuff on stacking and a lot of draft pre-draft and post-draft stuff on the, the rookies and the fits and everything else. So. Definitely well worth it. Um, I've, I've got a subscription to FTN, and uh, having having you join them was uh, certainly a, a delightful uh, improvement. Uh, they were already excellent, and this just makes it even better. So if you don't have a subscription over there, make sure you check it out. And uh, yeah. Theo, how are you doing tonight? No, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm always excited to talk to Josh. Um, Josh is a great guy to DM if you have a question and uh, – you know, he's been a real, real fun uh, coming on the show several times. And yeah, I'll second what Dan had to say. There's some great stuff going on over at FTN, um, some really good content. Nelson Sousa, also a fan of, of the show and a fan of ours. Um, Vlad Sedler's over there. They've got a lot of just really, really talented fantasy people over there. And um, yeah, we're happy to see Josh um, putting out such fire content still. And um, yeah, I'm stoked. I mean, we've, uh, this is like sort of like the, the May coming to an end for us. Um, we have a draft next week where it's going to be just, you know, a live draft show on the goat district. And Josh is our, our, our last, you know, guest guest in May. So it's just an awesome way to end it this week with uh, Adam, Adam Harstead last night and, and Josh Larkey tonight. It's about as sharp as it gets back to back. Yep, absolutely. And make sure you tune in uh, Tuesday night next week when uh, we, Theo and I are going to be going head to head with uh, 10 other very hardcore drafters. Uh, is so hardcore that we call the league the hard way. Uh, and it, it is basically, it's going to be a, a football guys players championship league uh, in the FFPC universe. So we're all, we're all gunning for that half million dollar grand prize. I guarantee looking at the, uh, the league members, the winner is not coming from our league. Uh, it's just not because there's no way that anybody's going to allow that much value to, to slip by, but we've got uh, <laughs> <laughs> David Hubbard um, in there. We've got uh, Abib Agabatoga, um, who's won uh, the football guys twice in a row. Uh, Fantasy Mojo. Uh, we have uh, uh, Mark Garcia, Hilo, uh, who's a fantastic FFPC player and uh, DFS player. Austin Martin, who's won a uh, half million dollars playing the uh, playoff challenge with the FFPC. No Rudell, uh, definitely, uh, you know, he's over at, at uh, FTN and he's he's done literally everything, betting to uh, DFS to, you know, season-long leagues to best ball, you name it. Uh, not, not to mention, of course, uh, Ron Meyer, two-packer himself, uh, who apparently did not quite – um, get his bribe in in time to get his usual great draft slot. Uh, so he's stuck at the back, back end of the uh, station wagon with the rest of us kids. And uh, and then we've got uh, Todd from PA and uh, let's see. Dwayne uh, McFarland's going to be in. Dwayne McFarland, yes. Dwayne not McFarland. a bad drafter. Only a, yeah, only not, a, not bad at all. 
two-time uh, football guys, top five finisher. Yep, and, and Todd Miller as well. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of veteran drafters, so it's going to be really fun to see how it all shakes out. We'll have everybody on live. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. But uh, definitely, let's uh, let's let's fire into the show. We got a lot of stuff to cover with Josh, so we better we better get cracking on it. Uh, we we promised that we'd put you on the rack, Josh, and uh, we'd torture you until you gave up all your secrets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to we got to make good on that for our listeners. Um, start out with the stacking. We want to start out with the stacking. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Let's Why do don't it. You dive right in there, Theo. So, Josh, you've done extensive research on stacking and correlation. Um, why should fantasy players uh, do, be doing this, especially in major tournaments like Underdog? So before I dive in a little bit more to like the, some of the numbers with stacking, just I always like to do the, the very quick like 60-second high level on stacking because I think it's just important for people to think about it theoretically because then the math starts to fall into place and it's like, oh, I see why this makes sense. So this year it seems like Mike Evans and Tyreek Hill are round two picks as receivers. Let's say that you take Mike Evans in round two. Round seven comes along and you see Tom Brady there. If you draft Tom Brady in round seven and you already took Mike Evans in the second round, what you're saying is you're just placing one bet for two players that, hey, I think the Bucs are going to have a really good offense. And if the Bucs have a really good offense, which they usually do, then Tom Brady's going to throw a lot of yards. He's going to have a lot of touchdowns. And Mike Evans is probably going to be catching a lot of those touchdowns and have a lot of yards himself. Let's say instead that y- you love Brady. I mean, we all love Brady. Who doesn't like Brady? So it's like, all right, we, we've penciled in Tom Brady for round seven, but instead I'm taking Tyreek Hill in round two. Here's how you should be thinking about that sequence. It is no longer one bet that the Buccaneers have a good offense. It is now, I think Tyreek Hill in his new environment is really going to mesh really well. They're, he and Tua, they're going to vibe this is going to be a great new connection. And then also, I think Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are going to have a really good offense. Those things are 100% unrelated. So it is two completely different bets. It just feels to me like, do I want the correlated bet or do I want two separate bets? And that's just kind of a good high-level way to think about stacking since I know there's still people out there and there are the, there are the occasional very successful players who don't stack, but... And they're like, oh, I'm successful. I don't need to stack without realizing like they're just making it harder on themselves. And you'd probably be more successful if you stacked. And when I, when I've dug into the numbers for best ball tournaments, yes, you can get by without stacking. There are people every year that win some money without stacking. However, I've looked at the past two years of the underdog best ball mania tournaments. It's the biggest best ball tournament that you can find really in terms of uh, just number of entrants, historical data. There's been about 200,000 entrants over the past two seasons. So I'm looking at a lot of people, a lot of data, and every single round of the tournament, getting out of round one, getting out of round two, getting out of round three. If you look at the people that advance to each round and the people that don't, and you see who is making their optimal lineup, it overwhelmingly favors stacking. And no matter how you slice and dice the data, the people moving on, are having more stacks enter their optimal lineup. And what that tells me is that you probably want stacks at that stage and that it becomes much more of a DFS tournament in a lot of these, or like a DFS contest in these best ball tournaments. I know FFPC has a lot of stuff like that. And like even like the football guys championship, it's beneficial if you're able to stack. 
Think about last year, like Stafford Cup would have been kind of a nice stack. Brady Evans would have been kind of a nice stack. Cousins Jefferson would have been a sneaky stack. And there's a lot of different ways where you can improve your overall team by making one bet and it's just on that offense. So anything that's heavily incentivized with money at the top where you're being pitted against a ton of different people, then it just becomes more and more like a one-week DFS contest to get out of each round. And we all know you want to stack in DFS, so you probably want to stack in best ball. And if you just look at like who's cracking the optimal lineups every single week of the season, the higher scoring teams have the stacks because it's pretty much impossible for Tom Brady to have a really good week without any Buccaneers player, uh, like skill player also having a good week. I mean, if you had Tom Brady with like Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski last year, you were just printing money week after week. And that's what you want to do. You want to find those stacks like Stafford Cup, both greatly exceeded ADP last year. And it's because when one hits, the other is more likely to hit as well, like Herbert Mike Williams. So that that's basically why you want to stack. Do you have to stack? No, you can make it harder on yourself. But I always think work smarter, not harder. And that's why I stack. Fewer bets need to be placed. A follow-up question. Um, occasionally we see stack blockers in, in underdog tournaments. Not so much in FFPC. I think it's just a little higher higher entry um but how about if if, let's say your quarterback gets taken and i'm i'm sitting on a mike evans is there a there's positive um it's a positive move to follow up with like let's say a a russell gage or another Mm -hmm. pass catcher even without the quarterback is that something you're you're following with as well yes i'll i'll still take uh i'll still try and correlate and that yes you're you're technically no longer stacking but you're still correlating And we see every year that there's many sets of receivers where two, three of them will all exceed ADP at once because the offense in general is better than expected. So that's why I'd say it's always good to do that. I mean, I feel like people dump on Robert Woods last year. Robert Woods was like the wide receiver 15 per game before he went down. He was hitting with cup. Like there, there's so many cases where two receivers hit together because the whole offense hits together. And like, if you didn't have Stafford, but you had Cup and Woods, you were probably in first place in your league up until Woods went down. And then you were probably still in first place in your league even after he went down because of Cooper Cup. But the general idea is that you're frequently going to have multiple guys from the same offense hit. Uh, Think about Jamar Chase T. Higgins last year. They were around four, round five type picks, both greatly exceeded ADP. So even if you can't stack and you get sniped, still good to stack those receivers. Right. And, and, and one of the things too, is that even if you have, you know, if you have the receiver stacked and especially if one of them is more of a like mid round uh, pick or later, you know, if one of those two receivers does go down, like happened with Robert Woods, it, it really pushes a lot more towards that other receiver. So you benefit in that way, even if uh, you know, you're, you're no longer getting maybe two good scores every week, you might get one score that's even better, you know, and if you get that, that score that gets you up into the, you know, 20 plus point range, uh, you know, for a, a wide receiver for that week, that's worth a lot. That's worth a lot more than two wide receivers who are giving you 13 points, uh, for mm-hmm. example. So, uh, you know, the other, the other thing too, like we were talking with Adam Harstead last night, uh, you know, if you're not finishing in the money, then it really doesn't matter if you finish in, you know, fourth place or fifth place or 12th place, just it, it, it's all the same. You lost. Uh, you know, and when, when people are not stacking and they're, they're just, you know, trying to, uh, you know, 
play play the odds and and, and make sure that they don't draft a bad team. Uh, they're also a lot of times making sure they're not drafting a good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give an example actually in terms of that, that's a great point. So last year I had a football guys entry that I was very excited about after like three weeks. I had the Kyler Murray DeAndre Hopkins stack. I was hyped. This looked like one of the league winning stacks of the year. Of course, this team ended up doing terribly. We know what happened with Kyler and Hopkins. And people might point to that and they go, look, stacking didn't work. Look how terrible your team ended up being. But the idea is that while they were both healthy, that team was awesome. And that's what you kind of want is you either want your team to be awesome or terrible. Because like you you said, there's no glory. There's no money for fourth place. No one's like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy had a really good fourth place team last year. Nobody cares. So that's that's why with the stack, you're either going to get first or worst. And I think that's what we should be shooting for. You either want to be in the money or not. It's like there. It's like when Ricky Bobby's like, if you ain't first, you're last. It's like if you're not in the money, you're not in the money. It doesn't matter fourth, fifth, eighth, twelfth. So I, that's a really great point that you brought up. And best best ball, you have to draft with a very optimistic approach to it. There's no. You can't have any pessimism in, in your picks. Like you said, it's you're trying to win the league. You're not able to make up anything with a, with a waiver wire pickup here and there. Um, you know, you really need to, to draft like you're drafting a championship team. And, and I think that having, you know, the potential variance of, of you know, having multiple guys on the team is, is just an, a no-brainer. Is there any mistakes you see people playing in uh, when they're building stacks? For example, is there a, is there a number on like an, an 18-man you know, slim best ball format where it's too many players from one team or is there positional combinations that you do not like in stacking? So I, I, I've seen some people do some research out there that where they're like, because generally when the tournament kicks in for best ball, you're not getting more than a quarterback and two receivers in the optimal lineup. So they'll be like, this is why you shouldn't overload. The reason that I will often still overload is because during the regular season, it's critical to make sure you're getting points each week. And I feel like I'll just keep going back to the Buccaneers because they're just the perfect example. It's high pass attempts. It's a, it's a non-mobile quarterback, but you wanted every Buccaneer last year. And or like the Chargers, you wanted every Charger last year. If Keenan Allen or Mike Williams isn't hitting, that's fine. It's probably Jalen Guyton or Josh Palmer. Like there's always guys that are hitting. It's like, oh, it, it wasn't Mike Evans this week. It was Chris Godwin or it was Gronk or it was Fournette. There's always guys that are going to be hitting from that offense. So if you have a lot of them, you're insulating yourself that you're going to be getting points each week in addition to the correlation. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, I, I guess every single draft, you don't want to be like, all right, let's just make my first four picks, all this offense and see what happens. Like you don't just want to try and go like Chase Mix and Higgins burrow every draft. Not that you could even get that, but like that, that's probably overkill to do frequently. Maybe you do that for fun occasionally, but it's more the idea like if if you're stacking an offense and you have the quarterback and three pass catchers, you're fine. No, no police officer showing up and like, hey, you you took more than a, the, the more than the single stack. That's bad because you're getting that extra correlation. In terms of mistakes, one of my favorite mistakes it, that where I'm just, I just chuckle is I often see people in these best ball tournaments. This is underdog FFPC. They'll take two quarterbacks fairly early. And they might realize towards the end of their draft, they go, oh my God, I have, you won't believe this. I have Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool on this roster. Holy crap. Kenny Pickett is there in the final round. Let me grab Kenny Pickett. Look at this stack without realizing that, okay, let's think about this. If Kenny Pickett 
who's probably not going to be that good in fantasy. He's actually entering my lineup frequently. That already means, like we were saying before, you're betting against yourself because you already took two early quarterbacks. So don't force that extra stack. I see that happen all the time. And then the other one uh, is just reaching. When people are like, oh, I, I have to get this stack. And I took Evans in the second round. I'm going to take Tom Brady in the fourth round. I need Tom Brady. I have to have this stack. Without realizing the opportunity cost is, well, Tom Brady may be great value in the, the sixth or seventh round based on the correlation with Evans. But when you're taking him in the fourth round based on this opportunity cost, you're basically going to need Tom Brady to be the QB1 in fantasy for this to now pay off. And like you kind of wrecked the benefits of stacking by over-exaggerating when you're taking these players. So I think those are the two big ones is like the, the reaching, the people that are like, oh, I just have to get this, I have to sneak this extra stack in. And next, you know, their quarterback room is top heavy. Oh, and then the last one, I, I wrote down one more. Some people have really wimpy stacks. And I don't really think that's something to be too proud of. Like if you have like Justin Herbert and Josh Palmer, and you're like, look at this stack. I mean, yeah, I guess that's better than if it was Justin Herbert and KJ Osborne. But it's like, is that real? Do you really think that's going to be the league winning stack? Much more important when possible to stack some of those earlier players rather than being like, oh, let's just backdoor stack. I mean, the backdoor stack is great in conjunction with the earlier stack. There's just, your your advantage is so slim. The players that are going the late rounds only give you so many points that there's very little glory if that's the only stack you have is some random late round wide receiver three or four on that team. I think you, you came up with a new term. The new, a new term we need to start using more is a, is a wimpy stack. Wimpy that's got to be, that's yes. got to be out there. That's a good one. I like that too. Yeah. And it, you know, to, to Josh's point on uh, reaching, you know, that's, that's definitely critical in the early rounds. You know, once you, once you get into the late rounds, you know, reaching, reaching by a round to, you know, to pull together a stack, you know, like if you take somebody in the 16th who normally goes in the 17th or something like that, probably not too big of a deal. But when you're talking about taking somebody in the fifth round that normally goes in the sixth round, that's kind of a whole different animal there. You don't want to be doing that. But uh, the later ones, you, Josh, would you agree it's okay to, to do those later ones? Oh, yeah. You can even reach two or three rounds. I mean, if a guy, if you really, like if you're doing some high stakes thing and it's like, this is one of my two high stakes teams, and I really want to take this 17th round pick in the 14th round. Even that I wouldn't follow you. I mean, yeah, it's better to wait, but it's not really affecting the dynamic because the opportunity cost is so different there where it's like when we think it through the Tom Brady example, if you take Evans in the second round and then you take Tom Brady in the fourth round instead of the sixth round, you now need Tom Brady to basically perform kind of like a QB one because you took him around where you'd take like the QB one or QB two in redraft. Rather than, oh, I got him as the QB7, he just needs to outperform QB7. So I think that's how you have to kind of think about it is you took a receiver in round five instead of round six. Well, you took him as the wide receiver, like you took him as the wide receiver 25. Okay, well, you have to make sure he's like actually exceeding ADP at the wide receiver 25. Like it doesn't matter if you thought it was a good deal at wide receiver 30. You've now taken him at 25. And I think that's what you always have to kind of tell yourself when you go through that exercise. Yep. 1912 is asking, uh, how many pairs of stacks are too many stacks for a team? So if you're, I guess, I, if I'm kind of understanding this correctly, if you have two quarterback build and you're stacking off of it, how many, 
how many players would you feel comfortable if it was only from two teams? If you if you have two quarterbacks, uh, I think you can have two to three players on each team, and that that's totally not an issue. Some research that I did uh, earlier this, I guess not summer, earlier in May was just kind of looking at where spike weeks come from for the receivers. They are incredibly concentrated in the best offenses in football. The worst offenses in football have almost no spike weeks. I mean, something crazy that I saw was the the Jacksonville Jaguars in underdog, which is half PPR, didn't have a single 20-point performance from any receiver or tight end on the roster. There was no 20-point week. They were the only team to not have one the whole season. Whereas like the, the Buccaneers, the Chargers, the Rams, the Chiefs, these teams were having like 10, 12, 15, 20-point weeks coming out of those teams. So it's just crazy how concentrated the spike weeks can be. And that's why you really want to stack up certain offenses, especially the good offenses, because usually the spike weeks come in clusters. And that if what, like, I guess another way to think about it, let's just say that Cooper Cup is absolutely killing it in fantasy last year. It'd be really hard for him to do that without the overall Rams offense running enough plays, sustaining drives. It's not like Cooper Cup is just housing the first play of every drive. So if he's doing really well, the drives are staying alive. There's going to be more pass attempts, rush attempts. The offense is just doing more in general when a player is doing well. And that's kind of why those offenses often cluster in terms of where the spike weeks come from. So what I love doing is stacking two offenses I like. And I'm going to jump the the show sheet a little bit, but like a a good mid-priced quarterback type stack is the Vikings. It's very consolidated. And I think that pairs up perfectly with any of those elite offenses where you're like, all right, I'm stacking the Chiefs or I'm stacking the Chargers. I'm stacking the Buccaneers. And my secondary stack will be the Vikings because Kirk Cousins is going pretty late. And if you have Jefferson or Thielen, boom, just throw Cousins in there. And that's an excellent offense that's usually top 10 in overall spike weeks from the receivers where it's super consolidated. And now you have two top 10 offenses being stacked. So some of my favorite teams have been Cousins, Jefferson, Thielen, and then three, four players from another really, really good offense. And I think those best ball teams are absolute monsters. No, we, we like that a lot. Um, yep. Dan has talked up the Minnesota stack as well this uh, this offseason. And we actually did it on a team we drafted together, a redraft team. But it's easy to get. Um, it's easy to get Cousins. It's very easy to get Thielen these days. Um, and, uh, you know, very, very late, you can take some shots on K.J. Osborne if you want to add an extra wide receiver and get a little a little spicy with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And th- and that was a that was a tournament uh, that we took him in. It was the uh, Rotowire Online Championship with the NFFC. So, you know, getting getting that stack together did feel really nice. There uh, felt like it was it, it all came together well, and we really didn't have to reach for anybody either. I mean, like we kept we kept pushing back, uh, taking cousins. You know, yeah. later and later. And yeah, that was like, fun. I, we were kind of playing chicken with ourselves. How late can we push him before we take him? Uh, so when a, when a stack like that works out, then you really like it. So, what are, um, and you mentioned you mentioned the elite offenses. Um, what are some of your favorite stacks? To talk, you mentioned Minnesota as your as your like cheaper stack. What are some of your favorite, you know, top notch stat stacks that you're trying to build your teams with right now? So I like I like Buffalo. I just think you want to target these good offenses where you know there's going to be a lot of play volume. Josh Allen's very expensive. It's pretty gross. And I kind of like that in these tournaments because 
sharp players generally know you don't want to take your quarterback early. So they're like, oh, do I really want to take Allen at like the two, three turn? And yeah, I'm not going crazy overboard on Josh Allen, but if I have digs and I can fit in that Josh Allen stack, then it, I'm probably going overboard. And it's like, I've got digs, I've got Allen. Let me get Gabe Davis or Crowder or Knox. There's the potential for 40 something passing touchdowns, Allen to rush in five to 10 himself. There's going to be massive play volume. You can even stack him with James Cook, which is kind of fun. So I think Buffalo is a good one. The Chargers and Buccaneers I've mentioned. And then I really like the Chiefs where I, I think at least one of those receivers is going to greatly exceed ADP. I will discuss later in the show who I think has the inside track to that, but I love going Kelsey, Mahomes, and then one to two of those random receivers and just crossing your fingers that that's the one who hits because do I think this Chiefs offense will be as good as last year? Probably not, but the ADPs are so much less expensive for the receiving talent. It's not like you have to go Kelsey, Hill, Mahomes all within the first three rounds. There's no more Hill there, and everyone else is significantly less expensive. So that's another one. The other mid-price stack I like, in addition to the Vikings, is the Raiders. We know there's going to be some pretty heavy pass volume there. We saw that last year. Derek Carr is actually kind of good at football. And, I mean, the weapon, this might be the best uh, trio in the entire NFL right now, is Adams, Waller, Renfro. And I love that you can get Adams kind of at the end of the first round. And he's not someone that I'm necessarily, like, hyper-targeting. But I do want some Devontae Adams exposure. He's still the best receiver in the NFL, most likely. So when I do get Adams, I immediately think, all right, let's get Waller at the 3-4 turn. If I want, I can sprinkle in Renfro in like the seventh round. And then Cargo's pretty late. And you're going to get 650 pass attempts out of that offense, most likely. So I think that's a really fun one. Three cheap stacks for best ball that I'll hit you with. The Texans, going to be a bad defense. Davis Mills is actually okay at football. Brandon Cooks is going to be a monster in PPR and half PPR. The Jets, a lot of offensive upgrades. Zach Wilson looked terrible, but he also had very few games of a healthy Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. They now added Brees Hall. They added Garrett Wilson. This is a really good offensive skill group surrounding Wilson. And then the third cheap one is the Giants. We've got the Bills coaching staff in there. They're probably going to pass a lot more everyone's ridiculously affordable in that offense and Daniel Jones is mobile. So those are all the stacks that I am targeting the most in these drafts. Do you have yeah. a favorite giants wide receiver? Um, just curious. So, I mean, at, at cost, how is it not Wandale Robinson where especially like in PPR leagues, this guy could just be an animal You're basically looking at like kind of what we wanted. Like people are burned on Rondale Moore, So they're just like, ah, oh, like this guy's too short. When Wandale has a really good profile, just like Rondale Moore did. And I'm willing to buy back into this profile, even though he's short, just because, I mean, I don't know, just because Rondale Moore didn't work out last year with a really good prospect profile, that means that you can't like Wandale. Like, I, I just never understand when people will say, oh, this one guy didn't hit, so I'm out. It's the same reason why I love like Tyrion Davis Price. I'm like, okay, I understand Sermon burned you but this guy is faster and fits the offense better. And he goes 10 rounds later in best ball than Sermon did with the same draft capital. And the only guy ahead of him is a six round undersized rookie. So anytime there's a, like a, a, a one player sample thing, I'm like, all right, let's, we need to get in on this. So one deal, I'd say, I mean, I like Tony too. I think Galladay's fine. All these giants players are so cheap. Saquon goes a round and a half later than last year, even though he's not coming off the ACL tear. 
So that, that's an offense that I think you want some exposure to in best ball. Yep. One, one I've had some success at stacking also that's not too expensive is the Cardinals. Uh, works out really well. You know, a lot of times Marquise Brown, James Conner, Kyler Murray. And, and Kyler, uh, to me, kind of – if, if one of the quote-unquote elite quarterbacks sags a little bit in the draft, he's more likely to be the one who kind of, you know, sags towards the back end of that pack and, you know, and maybe even pushes into the, you know, kind of the next grouping of quarterbacks. So, mm -hmm. and, he you know, he's a guy who can, uh, he could lead, you know, the league and in, uh, in, in both uh, passing yardage and rushing yardage potentially. I mean, he, he throws that many times and he, he, makes that many rushes attempts. So uh, I always like doing different Kyler stacks because there's also lots of different ways you can do it. I mean, you can do it with Connor, you can do it with Marquise Brown, uh, Hopkins, uh, Zach Ertz, Rondale Moore, you know, and, you know, so picking and getting two or three of those out to go along with Murray really isn't that hard. Yeah. The Not Cardinals sure. are an interesting one where, I've talked about them before, and I'm like, this is a team that I think is going to disappoint. I think their offense won't be as good as we want. However, I also think even saying that, it's an offense that I want exposure to because mm -hmm. it's so consolidated. And yep. I think it's interesting where, I mean, Hopkins is out the first six weeks. Who knows what it's going to look like with Marquise Brown. I don't like their play calling aside from they play fast. But if it hits, I feel like it's just painfully obvious who it's going to be. Like Marquise Brown, Zach Ertz, DeAndre Hopkins, James Conner at running back. Like Rondell Moore could hit, but like he goes really late. So like if you want to, you can throw him in. AJ Green, I think if AJ Green is hitting, that means there's been some catastrophic injury somewhere. Like something's going wrong. So it seems to me like it's pretty easy to know who to target. And I like that Kyler Murray is like weirdly cheap this year. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good one where uh, like it's like the Jets. I think the Jets offense is going to suck. I do not think Zach Wilson's a good quarterback. I don't think he's an NFL caliber starter, but I still want a good amount of exposure to that offense. Cause I'm like, well, look at who they're surrounding him with. And if it hits, it's going to be Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore in that receiving game. Like we know it's going to be those two. Like if Corey Davis has a career year, that is probably bad. That means something happened to Moore or Garrett Wilson. So those are two where I'm like 50, 50, I'm going to lean on that offense. Disappointing. But like we said, we're going for first place or last place. And in those cases, those are two offenses that I think actually just have these absolutely wild range of outcomes, which is why I want to invest in them. Right, exactly. I mean, you might be a little more careful about stacking the Jets if uh, this is one of your two fantasy teams. Uh, yeah. But, you know, when you're when you're talking about putting together dozens and dozens of best ball teams and things like that, then, you know, you definitely do want to get out there and try to get a little weird with some of them just because – you know, we're not always right. And, uh, you know, being able to recognize the fact that we're not always right, uh, having a little bit of humility as we walk in and say, you know, that I, I don't know everything that's going to happen. The NFL, you know, when I, no matter how confident I am, uh, you know, week one hits you like a buzzsaw. And, you know, a lot, it, it, it will shatter a lot of illusions. It will uh, all of a sudden generate, you know, a bunch of aha moments where you're like, I had every single piece of that puzzle and I never put it together that way. Uh, you know, but when, when you have dozens of teams, then it's more likely that you're going to find that way to assemble those pieces exactly the right way. 
just curious, there's two two stacks um, that I've been looking to, to build, and, and maybe I'm a little bit ahead than, than some. Um, the, the Dallas stack, which seems like people might be off slightly because of concerns with Gallup. Uh, maybe they don't want to draft Tolbert. Lamb is pretty expensive. How are you on the Dallas stack right now? And also maybe you could touch on the Denver stack. Um, I think people might like a lot of pieces, but I don't think they're diving into it quite as much. So the Dallas one's tough for me. There's going to be crazy play volume like there has been the last few years. I just, I'm not quite sure how good this offense is going to be. We're going to need a pretty big step forward from CD Lamb. Michael Gallup's coming off the ACL tear, and he just hasn't been the same player that he was like three years ago when he had the random breakout. Jalen Tolbert, I mean, he's fine. He's a small school, deep threat receiver. He's going to do something. He's probably going to give you some spike weeks and best ball, but I don't really think for real life football, this is someone that you really are excited about starting in two, three receiver sets. Just in terms of a real football, this being a good offense concept. The players that I think I, I like the most from Dallas because of that play volume is I've actually warmed up to Dalton Schultz. I think that's crazy to say. I thought he was a terrible pick early on in, in the this offseason. I did some projections and I was like, you know what? I kind of feel like Dalton Schultz is going to be number two on this team in targets. And we know it's going to be a really high volume uh, just offense in general. And I just don't have a lot of faith in Gallup. I do not think Jalen Tolbert is going to out-target Schultz. Pollard, we just, I mean, year after year, we just don't quite see the role get to what we want in terms of like a high volume per game role. Zeke is just crazy durable and he's not really going anywhere. So when I look at it more, I'm like, you know what? It's probably going to be Lamb but he's not a super high target share guy. And then I think Dalton Schultz is going to be number two. And then I do like Pollard just in case something happens to Zeke. And that I think he, he's a really good zero RB target where if, if you want to start your running back room in like the eighth, ninth round, I think Pollard's a really good way to start it where he's going to get you something each week. And then if for some reason Zeke goes down, he is getting up there in age that then Pollard's a monster. So Dallas is a weird one in that sense where, I kind of like Schultz and Pollard the most. And that Lamb feels expensive. I just don't like drafting the injured players like Gallup. And then Tolbert, I'm like, I think he's fine. Some people are very excited. Round three wide receivers rarely do well as a rookie. Not someone I'm excited about. And then what was the other team that you were asking about? I'm trying to remember. Den- Denver. Uh, Denver actually put his, uh, you were like, in the show, she was like, give me some offenses that might disappoint. I think Denver's going to disappoint. I think they're going to have a really good real-life offense, and I think it's going to be really spread out. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Javante and Melvin Gordon in some type of timeshare. We're going to have Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Tim Patrick, and K.J. Hamler. These are all these are four talented receivers. None of them at any point in their career has shown that they're just some ridiculous target share kind of guy. I mean, they're. I think they're all going to hover between like 13 to 24% target share most games which is just not that exciting. And then Albert O and Greg Dolchich is probably going to do something at tight end. This really feels like one of those offenses. We're going to be like, wow, that was a really good real life offense. And it wasn't super fast paced and they were very efficient at scoring, but the play volume wasn't there. And there was no like league winning player from that team. So they're an offense that I've actually kind of tempered expectations. As I went through projections, I was like, wait a second. There's no reason for them to just tell Tim Patrick or KJ Hamler to get off the field. They're going to want these guys getting reps. There's no reason to overwork Sutton and Judy. 
There's no reason to overwork Alberto when Dolchich is there. So to me, it just feels like this one's going to be kind of a, a nightmare for fantasy managers. And that, I think unless there's some major injuries, we're just going to have a ton of guys having good, not great seasons. Right. And that's, it, you know, from back in my college days, which, you know, this was several decades ago. Um, <laughs> but like, like that one guy who always hung out with, you know, like the, the group of five hot girl, you know, hot girls, and he was friends with all of them, but never, you know, dated any of them. That's basically the Denver offense. You're, you're constantly lured in by how, how attractive all the receivers are, but you're never really going to get anything meaningful from them. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I, I also think there's just concerns with Russell Wilson in general. I mean, I love him as a deep ball passer. So like if I had to choose, I, I would take Sutton just because I think that skill set lines up really well with Wilson, but we've seen him struggle to throw over the middle of the field. We've seen him kind of lock in on a couple guys. Like when you look at the Seahawks offense, yeah, I mean, Metcalf and Lockett were incredible for fantasy, but there was also just nobody else there. Mm -hmm. The running back room was never anywhere close to as impressive as Javante and Melvin Gordon. He rarely had a good tight end like Albert O to throw to. There's just a lot that's different. And it was an offense I was very excited about early on and have slowly pulled back as I, as I went through the projections process and realized like, well, there's not really anyone here that they have any incentive to just phase out. Like if you think that you're a Super Bowl contending roster, there is no reason for you to overwork any player when you have maybe the deepest skill position core in the entire NFL. Yeah, definitely. So 1912 is asking, uh, what about thoughts on the Lions? Oh my God, I forgot to put them. They they were my other budget stack. I felt like I was forgetting a budget stack. I think the Lions are a great stack right now. And I think the, the sneaky guy here is Jameson Williams because none of us know what his timetable is yet. And I think while we don't know his timetable, he's a great player to draft at ADP. Since let's just say that for some reason, James, Jameson Williams comes back in week two or week three. I mean, holy moly. He should have been going like four or five rounds earlier. What if it turns out, ah, you know what, Jameson Williams, he's actually coming back week nine. Well, that's unfortunate, but where you drafted him, your team can still be salvaged. And like, yeah, the ADP is going to drop, but you're taking him and like, I mean, he's, from what I've seen, he goes in like the 10th, 11th, sometimes 12th round. There's just very little opportunity cost and you can have that guy bust and your team is fine. So I think he's kind of the unique wild card where you're essentially buying the wide receiver one in this class pre-injury at kind of a nice discount. And I, I really like stacking uh, like Chark and Jameson because I feel like that's going to be a great one where however long Jameson takes to recover, Chark is probably going to be a lot better than people think. He's always been a 20% target share guy. He's 6'4 and runs in the four threes. His injury was an upper body injury. Like it's not like he has some litany of lower body injuries. He should be totally fine. And then, I mean, Swift can be a PPR monster. Hawkinson, not as excited about, but I, I really like where Swift goes when I think there's a case for him to just be a round one pick. He's a, a it's basically like Austin Eckler light in many ways except that he's younger and probably more explosive. And then Jameson Williams is just such a steal at his ADP. And then same with DJ Chark. So I think that's a great one to do. And then last round, if you're stacking up the, the Lions, 
throw Josh Reynolds in there. He's going to be in three receiver sets until JMO comes back. And any injury, and we already saw last year, that Josh Reynolds is going to give you 15 to 20 fantasy points every two to three weeks when he's out and getting starter reps. So I think it's a fun offense where you go, you know what, Jared Goff's not the most fun, but we've got a top five offensive line, top 10 skill players. Something's going to happen, and they play in a dome. Yep, totally makes sense. Love that, spot on. We get a lot of – oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say, uh, how about how about Week 17 uh, Championship Week? Do you have you have any favorite Week 17 correlation plays that you're making? Uh, you know how do you, how do you look at that? So I like the the Buffett the Buffalo Cincy game. Hard not to like Bills Bengals. I know some people are worried because the Bills had a good defense last year. My take on it is that the Bills played like the absolute softest gauntlet of like anti gauntlet of quarterbacks. The only actually good offenses they face is throughout all of last year, including the playoffs, they faced the Chiefs twice and the Buccaneers once. If you just go through matchup by matchup, they were facing absolutely atrocious offenses. And if you look at the three games with the, the two Chiefs games and the Buccaneers game, the, those, those three games, they averaged 338 passing yards allowed. So I, I don't, I'm not super scared about this, this Bills defense. I think that's probably going to be one of the two or three highest Vegas game totals for that week. Like people are going to go nuts over that game once it actually happens. So I love having, if I'm stacking Burrow or I'm stacking Josh Allen, I want a bill or a bangle on the other side as well. And then I think in general, just target the AFC West. These teams are playing each other multiple times during the season. We've got four top 10 offenses, most likely all in the same division and week 17. We've got, so we have, Kansas City, Denver in week 17. Great. That's already AFC West correlation. If you're throwing Chargers in the mix because they're playing during the regular season, well, it's cool because the Chargers play the Rams week 17. So they ha- the Chargers have a good matchup. The Raiders play the 49ers week 17. So like there could be some nice matchups there for the Raiders. And if we go back a little bit earlier, it's like Denver gets the Rams in week 16. There's just there's a lot of really tantalizing matchups that somehow involve the AFC West. So I think you want exposure there. I think there's gonna be a lot of shootouts. And that's just kind of my favorite area to target because there's so many affordable pieces to get action, like Tim Patrick, Isaiah Spiller. There's different ways, like Derek Carr is your quarterback. There's ways to get exposure to uh I mean, if you're like like Marquez Valdez Scantling in best ball, Sky Moore. There's so many different ways to get a little affordable tastes of the AFC West throughout your best ball draft. Yeah, to- totally makes sense. And, and and to your point on the Buffalo defense, I mean, I just tend not to look too hard at defenses as being, you know, shut down defenses or whatever, because so much of the time it is exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's just that they happen to play a, you know, random string of really bad quarterbacks or really bad offenses or whatever, you know, if, but if you're, if, if you're talking about an offense that is, you know, considered equal or better than the defense they're playing, you know, so I like, you can say, uh, you know, chiefs, chiefs bills or, you know, bucks bills or Rams bills, something like that. I'm going to bet on the offense more than more so than the defense, uh, just because offense has so many more different ways to dictate, uh, you know, the defense, they're going to, they're going to try to enforce their will on the offense, but, you know, they're still reacting to what the offense is doing every play. Uh, 
you know, so the, the offense, you know, if it's, if it's close, I'm going to side with the offense, you know, but if it's like a really good defense against like an average offense, that's where you, you say, Hey, defense could rule the day here. Uh, mm -hmm. But otherwise, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really not worth uh, getting, getting yourself all worked up over, I think. Yeah. And oftentimes defenses that we expect to finish towards the top um, really just don't, it's a difficult position to, right. to really, to really nail it. Um, mm -hmm. Just curious, um, it's not on the show sheet, but what is your ideal roster construction build in one of these underdog drafts? I've done a lot of the, the two quarterback builds where I get both of them generally before round 12, round 13. So I, I have two good quarterbacks, ideally on decent offenses as well. Running back, I like going four or five. If I'm going zero RB, I'll do more than that. But generally, I'm getting at least one running back early. And I think if you get one running back in the first two rounds, you should probably stop at five when it's an 18-round draft. There's just no need. The way that I think about it, let's say you take a running back in the first round or two. Boom. This is your guy. You just spent round one or round two draft capital. This guy's not missing many, if any, games. You've already Your chips are in on this running back. If you draft five running backs, that means most weeks you have four other dudes to fill one slot. Why are you taking six or sometimes even seven running backs when you take one early? You don't want to bet against yourself. So I really like the two quarterback, five running back, and then I'll go either eight receiver, three tight end, or nine receiver, two tight end. That's been the build that I often gravitate towards where I'm getting one running back early. I'm getting several receivers pretty early. And then depending on where I get my tight ends, if some of them, if I feel like a guy's falling and it's suddenly you're like, oh, look, I have like Hawkinson and Komet or something. Cool. I might stop it too. If I feel like it's a little bit later and I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't really get any tight ends through 10 rounds. Fine. We're going eight receivers because I've already been taking more of them early and three tight ends. So I, I found the, the two, five, eight, three and the two, five, nine, two have definitely been my most common builds for, for 2022. How about you, Dan? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, you know, it's it's rare that I'm going to go over five running backs unless I'm, I'm doing like, you know, something that's a, a pretty strict zero RB type roster. Uh, and and Josh nailed it exactly on the tight ends. I mean, if you, you know, if you get two that you feel good about, just stop. But if you, you know, if you don't feel good or if you, you, you end up taking them all late, uh, you know, then it's better to go ahead and probably take three. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm two, five, nine, two in most of the builds. Um, but occasionally I'll mess around with a four running back build. Um, and just, you know, I pick up an extra tight end or, or one more wide receiver, but I think that's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've even gotten crazy and done, uh, some, some real hyper fragile and done. I, I have at least one team out there that's only got three running backs. Uh, taken in the first four rounds. And, you know, that's that's my running back room, and so be it. Yeah, I've done a couple of those where the third running back is either Saquon round three or Brees Hall in the fourth or fifth. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? For some reason, we've got McCaffrey, we've got Fournette, we've got Brees Hall. Like, there it is. I hope they yeah. don't get injured. <laughs> and, I mean, if those guys are getting injured and you have to rely heavily on the fourth running back, the team's probably not going to do well, so... I have three or four teams like that where I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. We've just got a got a ton of receivers at the end here. And I think that's that's okay. Like it's fine to make that a four running back build, but it, I don't think it's the worst thing ever to just say we're we're sticking with three. 
mm-hmm. and that ideally no one misses more than two games this year. And like that, that is your, that is the one thing that has to go right for you in this tournament is that your three running backs don't have a major injury, which, which is feasible. It's probably not right. going to happen, but like, that's fine. We we're chasing the high end outcomes, not the 50, 50 outcomes. How about your favorite draft slot right now in the first round? Um, and do you see clear tier breaks when you're drafting in the first round right now? Oh, there is a massive tier break. My favorite draft slot is pick five. I see a huge tier drop after that. The big five, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey at running back, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase at receiver. That, that to me just seems like a clear big five. And I think there's a pretty significant drop off to whoever you think should be six, whether that is Adams, Stephon Diggs, Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, like Najee Harris, whoever you think should be number six. To me, all those guys feel, I'm just like, oh man, that's really painful. I do not like drafting any of those guys right after I see like a Jefferson or a Chase go at pick five. I, I feel like I'm losing out on a lot with that six pick. So I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but for me, it's like, this is the five and I love the 105. And if I get the 106, I'm basically crossing my fingers that someone takes like Derrick Henry in one of those first five picks. That way one of those guys falls to me. Have you noticed that? Because to me, it's like six through 12, these players look identical, but one through five, oh, they, they are very different looking. Dan and I had that conversation earlier today. We're saying what's our, our least favorite draft slot right now. We're both both on the 106. 106, <laughs> 106 clearly. Yeah, it's yep. you the guy you the guy you end up taking at 106 is often available for you if you're at like the 109. So there's there's really no advantage mm-hmm. of being at the 106. It's um getting one of those three wide receivers and, and those two running backs um, for me is the optimal optimal move not only in best ball but also in redraft right now just because mm-hmm. I I view those three wide receivers as so strong um and those two running backs are so strong so yeah we we do not like the 106 here at the go district either no not really and, and if i get it i'm more likely to take Eckler than anyone just because he's he Same. seems like the one who's least likely to slip you know back towards those you know eight nine ten eleven picks seems like he always Eckler's almost always gone by the end of pick seven uh you know so just to to try to keep my um you know, keep things even. Uh, I'll take as much Eckler as I need to at six to, you know, I don't want to be overweight on him, but I don't want to be super underweight on him either. It's just, I think it's the easiest to see Eckler burning you out of all those guys after where we've seen for what, three straight seasons now that per game Eckler is just ridiculous in these PPR type formats, half PPR. He's ridiculous mm-hmm. per game. So it's like, all right, cool. If this guy's healthy, he is someone that could actually make you go, oh, wow, I should have drafted Eckler. The other guys, I'm like, uh, it's, it's a little bit harder to see him. There's just a longer track record for those other guys of either not giving you the difference-making production or where they're at an age where it's just the, it's a big uphill battle. Where I'm like, yeah, per game, I could see Dalvin Cook being amazing. But with his injury track record and at his age, there's just very little precedent for Dalvin Cook actually giving you 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, super efficient, super healthy games. So that, that's kind of the way that I look at it. Yep. Is there a, a player in particular that you like to draft towards the tail end of the first round right now? Uh, I love when Stephon Diggs slips. He's the guy that I sometimes see slip to the end. And I think he he seems like the pretty clear-cut wide receiver four at this point because 
A lot of other guys are changing teams, and you have the big three up top that makes sense. They are all with the same quarterback from last year. And then it's like Adams switching teams, Tyreek Hill switching teams. There's just a lot going on there where I'm like, yeah, like Evans, it's nice. It's the same team, probably more target opportunity with no Antonio Brown, but it's also Mike Evans, who is not some crazy high target share guy. So it feels to me like if you want the 25 plus percent target share for a receiver and a good offense who has not switched teams, Diggs is kind of the only other guy that fits that profile. So I like when he starts to fall to the 11, 12 spot. And I think it's realistic for him to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, out of out of all those guys, he's the one who I think has the clearest path. You know, if one of them was to somehow ascend to to be wide receiver one at the end of the year, uh, you know, it, it, it's easiest to tell the Diggs story on that one. Mm-hmm. No, for sure, big on Diggs as well. Yep. So. Uh, couple things. Make sure, number one, uh, you know, if you're listening to this right now, uh, if you hadn't hit the like button, please go ahead and hit that for us. Uh, Push that if, you have, if you have not subscribed, please go ahead and do that too. We really appreciate that. Both of those really help out the podcast. If you're listening to us uh, on any other format, there's probably some way to like us or to, to subscribe to us or whatever. Uh, make sure you do those things. Uh, and, and not just for us, but any podcast that you listen to. Uh, it really helps us all out. So, uh, you know, we, we, we appreciate that, uh, you know, you, we've got your ears and maybe your eyes. Uh, but if we can get those those likes and those subscribes, that helps us even more. So please make sure you're doing that. And, uh, you know, Jack, we've been talking a lot about uh, underdog best ball mania. Make sure that you're uh, you're signing up. You know, it's a super fun tournament. Uh, you you want to be involved in it. It's it's cheap. You know, it's not super expensive to, to put in teams. And, you know, if you want to get in there and you want to get an extra $100, go in, put in $100 to underdog, put in the uh, code word district. We'll match that $100. They'll match that for you. So you'll start out with $200 uh, rather than $100. There's a, no better way to double your money than that. And uh, if you're doing the FFPC, which we also highly encourage, and uh, Josh was talking about getting himself a little bit more involved in the FFPC once he gets his underdog uh, thesis out and uh, in front of everybody, or the underdog manifesto maybe, uh, which I'm, I'm very much looking forward to reading. Uh, but make sure you check out the FFPC because they have so many different contests. They've got Dynasty. They've got uh, redraft leagues that are standalone. They've got... Uh, best ball contest you can do super flex or you can do you know traditional best ball format you can do dynasty leagues you can do um the, we've got the uh, football players championship uh 350 to enter a three pack for a thousand uh dollar grand prize that's a half a milli and then you've got the full milli on the main event as well uh, so i mean who can't use a million dollars right uh, so make sure you're getting involved in those. Those are super fun drafts. The customer service over there is second to none. If you have any questions at all, just reach out to them. Just reach out to me or Theo for that matter. And, uh, we'll definitely help you through it. And if you've never signed up on FFPC before, make sure you, you drop me or Theo or JD or any of us a note and, uh, just, you know, let us know and we'll hook you up with a, a $35 credit for the FFPC. That'll get you into a best ball for free. So, uh, make sure you're checking that too. All right, Theo, where are we going next? Um, I'd like to talk a little dead zone with Josh. Um, 
Last year, you did an amazing podcast. Um, one of the best things I've ever read or listened to on the Dead Zone. Um, I, Josh, I, I, I do you recall um, about when? Because I'd love to reach. I, I, you've done so many podcasts. I can find it, but um, I would maybe, say April or May last year. Yeah, I don't remember exactly either. It was when I was podcast. It was like early just before the summer. Is my guess. I'll have to find that one. It was. Um, and you accurately hit on DeAndre Swift as a player to target in this range. And Travis Etienne was another one you were targeting in this range, but he, of course, got injured this season. Um, but it was fantastic. Everybody should go back and listen to it. It's kind of an evergreen podcast. How should you be approaching the dead zone this season? Um, and is it the dead zone a source of potential fantasy value? Yeah, right so I now? wrote down a lot of running backs. I feel like one thing I mentioned last year towards the end of the summer is I was like, you know what? Everything we think we know about the dead zone is changing a little bit because we're talking about the dead zone. And the dead zone initially existed because no one talked about it. And everyone was drafting these really dusty running backs in the third and fourth round. It was like the David Johnsons where this guy's 28 years old. And we're like, oh, we don't even really know exactly what he's going to give you. We don't even love this offense. But oh, here we go. Let's we're we're rounding up some David Johnson. Or it just seemed like there were there were so many guys like that where you're like, mm, you know what? Well, he's done it before. And yeah, he's 28 or 29. It was those kind of guys were like like a Melvin Gordon was slipping in there where it's like, yeah, he's going to be fine. But that guy at this stage of his career is not winning your league. And we're drafters are getting. I think they're overthinking it at times. So I actually have a nice list of some dead zone running backs in like the rounds three through six, three through seven, where I'm like, hey, this guy looks pretty good to me. So I often see in round three, you can still get Leonard Fournette and Saquon Barkley slipping to round three at times. These guys should be total workhorses. They also catch passes and they have a history of production. So I, I like Fournette and Saquon in the third round. I think you do want some exposure. I, I can envision situations where not taking that player on any roster ends up burning you. More to like the round three, four turn, I still think you want some exposure to Akers. I know a lot of people talk about how he was very inefficient last year when he came back from the Achilles tear. That's very true. Akers was terrible. What wasn't terrible is that this was a medical anomaly. My goodness. Cam Akers was, I mean, by like what, like a year and a half, the earliest returning running back from Achilles to actually get real workhorse snaps. Other guys were taking like two, three years to get workhorse level snaps. Akers got it in like six months. And I think that in itself shows you the kind of freak athlete he is. He now has a full off season. We know it to recover. We know it's a really good offense. We know Darrell Henderson struggles to say, stay healthy himself and just has never seemed to fully garner the, the trust of McVay. We saw last year where, Sony Michelle, who I know a lot of people love to hate on, was just completely relegating Darrell Henderson. So I think Akers has a good chance to do that this year. Another guy is Brees Hall. He goes in like the fourth, fifth round. I think that he's not a dead zone running back in the sense that I think he's unlikely to be a league winner as long as Michael Carter is healthy. However, I think he's someone that can give you very stable production and that if you're getting him late round four at times, that is just an incredible place. If you even want him as your RB1, you can start off with three pretty ridiculous receivers or two ridiculous receivers and then uh, a top three tight end and begin with Brees Hall, knowing that you're going to get consistent running back production. That's going to be 
well above average. Going a little bit later, Travis Etienne, round five. Just think about DeAndre Swift from last year. All the excuses of why you shouldn't draft DeAndre Swift in round five apply to Travis Etienne this year where it's like, oh, it's a stinky offense. Okay, that's fine. He catches passes. That kind of uh, nullifies all the, the fears of the bad offense because you know what? If it's just some bad team and a bad offense and they're struggling to generate a lot of stuff down the field, they're going to be doing a lot of checkdowns to Travis Etienne, just like they did last year with DeAndre Swift. James Robinson, who knows if he returns at all. So I think Travis Etienne, just a great pick. He and Lawrence were three-year college teammates. So there's a nice shower narrative. And then the three guys that kind of go in the sixth, seventh round that I that I think you should take shots on are A.J. Dillon, Miles Sanders, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Miles Sanders had actually a really good opportunity share. The Eagles had the most rushing touchdowns in the NFL last year. So it's kind of a conundrum that somehow the best rushing offense overall, the starting running back had no rushing touchdowns. I think that is just one of the most hilariously random things that could possibly happen. So I really like Miles Sanders as just giving him a mulligan where the guy was averaging like five and a half yards a carry. This was a very efficient, good running back. He just didn't score. A.J. Dillon, I mean, th- this this offense will run through the running backs. I do not expect them to pass very often. I think they're going to be a slow-paced, run-heavy team. And I think there's a, a good chance that both A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are both top 15 running backs when all is said and done. And then Clyde Edwards-Alaire, there is still just nobody in this backfield. Apparently last year, he actually wasn't healthy in the offseason. We're now learning that... Part of the reason he struggled last year may have been that he came into training camp at 160 pounds. He had some medical issue or a stomach bug or something. He weighed weighed in at 160 and then tried to put 40 pounds back on as training camp went on. Kind of makes sense why he struggled. I don't think he's a great talent, but he is the starting running back on the Chiefs. I do not think Ronald Jones is good. I do not think their their seventh round pick, Isaiah Pacheco, is good. There's just not a lot there. So I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire, it's betting that He's starting running back in a good offense and that maybe this is the year we see the the pass catching talent he displayed in college because he is finally healthy for his first off season in the NFL. So those are all the guys I like guys. I do not like Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, what are we doing here? This we are now like multiple years away from him being a league winner. Tony Pollard is there. We just, I, I really don't know what you're expecting when you're drafting Zeke JK Dobbins. I think he was a sneaky winner from the NFL draft because they didn't take anybody, but it is just very difficult for a committee back in a, an offense where the quarterback doesn't target the running back to produce very high end fantasy results. I see almost no scenario where avoiding Dobbins burns you in fantasy. So I think he's a perfect dead zone running back. Antonio Gibson. God, it sucks to call him a dead zone running back. He deserves to be a dead zone running back. If you are taking Antonio Gibson in the fifth round, Just be aware that you are two injuries away from him giving you difference-making production. J.D. McKissick will play third downs. And Brian Robinson was Alabama's absolute bell cow last year. They took him in the third round. He's going to do something on first or second down at times. Even if Brian Robinson only gets five touches a game, that's going to nuke Gibson's upside. I'm sure there's going to be goal line carries here and there for Brian Robinson. You do not want to draft Antonio Gibson in the fifth round. That is just Really bad move. And then Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, they did not pick up his fifth-year option. They drafted Zamir White in the fourth round. And Zamir White is an athletic freak. 
He's had two ACL tears. He's finally supposedly healthy. And then at 215 pounds, he ran a 4-4 flat at the combine. Josh Jacobs is a 4-7 kind of running back. So Zamir White is just the same size, almost way more explosive. Kenyon Drake is supposedly fully healthy off of the, the broken ankle. And they just have absolutely ridiculous receiving talent. So like, yeah, it's a good offense. Maybe Josh Jacobs falls into the end zone a few more times, but it is very difficult for me to see a case where Josh Jacobs is winning your league. So there we go. Rifled through that dead zone. The guys I like and the guys that I do not like. And then once again, as I said last year, I don't know what to do with David Montgomery. I was hesitant to put him as a dead zone back last year. I was hesitant to put him as a potential league winner. And he ended up being really good, but not absolutely great. So once again, David Montgomery, I don't know what to do with him. You can take him. I think he's fine. And he will just forever be a stumper where he is just so in the middle of being really good and also not quite good enough. How about Elijah Mitchell? So he he's one where I like him in best ball. I think he's going to give you some really good spike weeks occasionally. I'm just not quite sure week to week what he's giving you. So I actually don't like him as much in the managed leagues. I feel like in best ball, you're you're going to get some big weeks. It's just very difficult for me to see how there's going to be consistent fantasy relevance when there's Tyrion Davis Price there as well. We might have Jermichael Hasty taking some passing work, and Trey Lance. I'm sure will run some touchdowns in himself. So it, it seems like it, not to, and it's your your explanation for these guys in in the podcast was very nuanced and, and research driven, like a lot of your stuff. But could you could it simply be put, we want pass catching running backs from the dead zone. Tend to, we, you want to target them, especially if they're a little younger. And then your avoids are guys who don't catch many passes and are usually the older running backs. And automatically avoid them if they're over, like, you know, Mike Davis type type older guys. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's not really anyone in the dead zone this year that's just overly egregious. It's basically, yeah. like, I think the most egregious one is probably Antonio Gibson just because of it's not even like the talent is bad. It's just that this guy actually needs multiple injuries. But then I guess if you're thinking like the the combination of age, wear and tear, and lack of super high-end pass catching, Zeke and Josh Jacobs kind of fit into that one. So I think the the most undead zone running back in the dead zone is Travis Etienne. Just like last year, I'm going right back to the well on him. We just saw how it worked out so well with DeAndre Swift. That's the profile you want is the young, explosive, pass-catching running back where you know there is a major role. And then I put Brees Hall in there. Brees Hall, it's a little bit unclear how he gets to this league-winning upside if Carter is healthy. Though, I actually think Brees Hall's college receiving profile was better than Michael Carter's once I dug in. So I think Brees Hall would probably be... He's probably next on the list in terms of these true dead zone backs, but we're, we're pushing the chips in once again. Travis Etienne, man, if this guy's healthy, he's going to be very good for fantasy football. Yeah, we don't want to trigger the uh, that one guy on on Twitter that attacked you for announcing Brees Hall as the the Jets starter uh, recently. <laughs> Jets. That was a little that was a little out there. Yeah, yeah, he he decided that I I did not deserve to work in fantasy football analytics because I I made a joke where uh, someone was like, "Oh, the Cowboys said Jalen Tolbert was really a round two pick that they stole in the third round," and I was like, "Yeah, that reminds me of when the Jets high fived themselves because they were like." Ha, ha, ha. Michael Carter was a day two running back that we got on day three. And then the next year they, they trade up to get Brees Hall in the second round. I'm 
So I'm like, what, what, what are we doing here? The draft capital is the draft capital. I don't care what the coaching staff says. The most predictive thing year after year is going to be the draft capital that they were actually drafted at. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Dan, you, do you want to follow up on the uh, any of the zero running back uh, candidates? Um, sorry, they lost. Yeah. Um, so, so as far as like, uh, what what are you seeing as far as uh, zero running back candidates this year? Like, uh, are there any that if you're scrambling for running back depth late in the draft, like uh, you know, round nine, ten, and on? Um, what, which ones are looking the best to you? So there's two guys I love. So the super late guy, I already mentioned him, Tyrion Davis price. I think you want him on almost every team. The guy, if he's healthy, he's going to be doing something in fantasy and you can just get him so, so late. The two guys that I think you, if you're doing a zero RB team, I think you ideally have one, if not both of these guys on your team. The upside's ridiculous. It is Rashad white. And then another rookie, Isaiah Spiller. So they're both rookies. We have no idea what their role is going to be. We think they're going to do something. They are both on top five offenses. With Rashad White, he had he is actually just one of the most ridiculous receiving profiles for a running back that I've ever come across. He had almost 500 receiving yards his past this past year at Arizona State. He frequently lined up just out wide, like a Le'Veon Bell, like an Austin Eckler. And Rashad White, he's 215 pounds. He ran in the four fours. So this guy had over a thousand rushing yards, almost 500 receiving yards last year. He's big. He's athletic. He's on the box offense. This is a guy you want exposure to. We have never seen Fournette make it through a full season healthy. I, I have no idea when Fournette is going to get injured this year. He's probably going to get injured, but I mean, we saw last year what happened. Fournette missed the fantasy playoffs. Rashad white. I will be penciling him in for a top five weekly running back performance Anytime Fournette is not healthy. there It is so hard to find that kind of handcuff potential. It's basically like you're getting Alexander Madison, but maybe even better. Rashad White is just a ridiculous talent. So I think he's a great one. And then Isaiah Spiller. I think he's going to have some of that like A.J. Dillon, like quote unquote standalone value where we know Austin Eckler has, I mean, he said it on podcasts before. He said it to beat reporters. He does not want to be a workhorse running back. I think the Chargers do not want him to be a full workhorse running back. The reason that he was over 200 carries last year, I think, is because Larry Roundtree and Josh Kelly suck. <laughs> it, it, I don't think it was anything to do with, like, Austin Eckler did not want those touches. I think he realized he just had to get the extra touches. I don't even know if Austin Eckler wants to be used at the goal line. There could be a goal line role for Spiller. All I know is that Spiller's going to be getting 10-plus touches a game in some capacity. And if Eckler goes down, Isaiah Spiller was a three-year starter at Texas A&M against good competition, and he was decently productive. He was a fourth-round pick, which isn't great, but when you look at that depth chart, they hate Kelly, they hate Roundtree, Justin Jackson's no longer there. Isaiah Spiller has crazy upside on an elite offense where we know he can handle the bell cow role, so Rashad White and Isaiah Spiller, to me, just look like slam dunks. They go pretty close to when like Tyler Algier goes, and I'm like, you're really... I mean, Algier was in the fifth round, we don't even know like what he's going to do playing time wise. And the best case scenario is that you have the grinder back on an absolutely atrocious offense. Really? That's what you're getting excited about. I want to get excited where if Eckler or Fournette goes down, I have someone that is very likely giving me top five to top 10 running back numbers every single week. 
Then getting back to Rashad White, uh, Herm Edwards has talked up uh, his pass blocking ability and how he believes he'll correlate to the NFL right away. And, um, you know, that was it's nice to, to think that he had the, the, you know, the college coach that was so, you know, had success in the NFL and has spoken him up on a guy that he thinks can make an impact right away. So I, we're with you on Rashad White as well. Right. And so I gather you think, uh, you know, like Altair and uh, Ronald Jones, those are those are definitely ones that you would be probably stepping around rather than stepping into uh, in the late rounds if you're doing a zero running back build. So I'll I'll generally I'll, I'll take Algier occasionally because I think he'll do something for you. I just don't think he's a very sexy pick or a very fun pick because it's the Falcons. Mm-hmm. And I think Cordell Patterson's going to soak up most of those targets there. Damian Williams is actually still probably okay enough at football to take something there. Mariota is going to punch some in at the goal line. I just don't love that situation. Ronald Jones is another one where I think you want a little bit of exposure because it's the Chiefs offense. And I said it last year. I was like, I am all in on Fournette, which ended up being a wonderful hit. But I missed on some Ronald Jones teams. And I was like, as confident as I am in the Bucks offense, and as much as I love Leonard Fournette, I'm going to want a little bit of Ronald Jones just in case. Like, I think one of these running backs is going to be really good. Ended up being Fournette. I think CEH is the guy. I mean, what if he gets injured or what if he isn't? So with Ronald Jones, no, he's not one of my like aggressive zero RB targets, but I do think that he's someone that you want to consider in these zero RB builds because of the offense. Like ultimately I'm trying to target these offenses. And if I'm not targeting a guy in a great offense, I'm targeting a young running back who's an absolute stud like Khalil Herbert, where if something happens to Montgomery, I know for a fact Khalil Herbert's getting 20 plus touches a game. And there's just not that many guys like that where it's not a great offense and you can just guarantee the guy gets all the work. Because with Algier, like he goes earlier than Khalil Herbert. And to me, I'm like, well, I'd much rather have the guy that I know is going to get 20 touches a game in a certain scenario. There might not be a scenario where Algier ever gets 20 touches a game. So that's kind of the exercise I like to walk through is with zero R if I'm, when I go zero RB, I generally want four straight up handcuffs. And then I'm saying, if I'm going zero RB, we need four dudes where if the starter goes down, they are crushing it. And then I probably want two to three standalone, standalone value type guys where it's like the Isaiah Spiller is going to do something. You could put Michael Carter in there. Some of the guys where it's like, they're going to do something during the season to help weather the storm early on. Yeah. Naeem Hines. Yeah. Hines, stuff like that. Like JD McKissick, you're going to want a couple of the more pass catcher committee type guys like Gus Edwards. You could probably throw in there where like, he's probably going to do something Mm -hmm. each week. How about two guys that, that both took a hit on draft night, um, Devin Singletary and Rashad Penny, um, just veterans who, whose stock dropped. Do you see them as a, as potential value right now for a a team that maybe really waits on RB two or even punts it back and, and does this true zero build? So Rashad Penny, I'm just not really in on. I'm not in on Kenneth Walker either. This is just such a terrible offense. I don't really want any part of it. Uh, It's an offense that hasn't historically targeted the running back. And then if you look at Geno Smith and Drew Locke, these are not quarterbacks that have historically targeted the running back. It's just, there's just no chance for some pass catching upside in my opinion. And in what I've seen with the data. And then also like Rashad Penny struggled to stay healthy. And like, yeah, when he's healthy, he, he, we saw him crush last year, 
but that was also with Russell Wilson. There, there were just a lot of different scenarios and there was no Kenneth Walker there. There wasn't like Chris Carson was uh, like with his neck. He was just, there was no chance he was going to play. So I'm not sure if they're really going to give Penny the crazy touches because of Walker. So for me, a little bit sour on him. Who Who's the other guy? I'm trying to remember. I, I blanked Devin, Devin so Singletary. I, so I like Singletary because I, so my, one of my hot takes has been, I'd rather have Singletary than Antonio Gibson in fantasy. And a lot of people that freaks them out and they're like, what are you talking about? One guy is huge and he's super fast. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. We established that Antonio Gibson needs two injuries to be a league winner. We need McKissick and Brian Robinson to go down. Devin Singletary, we saw last year, they gave him the keys to the offense. The second half of last year, the guy was a monster. He was winning people leagues. If James Cook, who was not a very good prospect, ends up just being a 5-10 to 10 touch a game guy, Singletary's probably going to give you some pretty decent standalone value. And if anything happens to James Cook, one injury away, just one injury away, Devin Singletary can give you the 20 fantasy points again that he was giving you towards the end of last season. So I, I think Singletary is a good bet because you don't need much to go right for him to absolutely demolish ADP. We already know that he beat out Zach Moss. He could very well just beat out James Cook. And then it's like, wow, this was a mistake to take him round two. Or James Cook, really small running back. He's under 200 pounds. What if he just gets injured? Then suddenly Devin Singletary goes right back to that workload from last year. So greatly prefer Singletary to Penny in that range. If Baker Mayfield joins Seattle, a question from Famous Jay. Um, if Baker Mayfield joins Seattle, does that change your perception of them at all? Yeah, I, th- I think it makes them all more attractive. I think Baker is a, a pretty decent upgrade, honestly, above Geno or Drew Locke. It seems like Geno is apparently winning the, the early quarterback competition. I don't know if I should read into that or not, but I mean, the, I think Baker Mayfield's fine. I think that he makes, he's going to make Metcalf and Lockett probably look like values. Still not quite sure what that means for the running backs. It's just overall not a situation I want to get too invested in because, I mean, we even saw last year. It's, it's such an archaic offense. They just don't want to pass very much. And we saw them run so few. They ran fewer plays than any other team last year, even with Russell Wilson playing most of the games. There's a chance that they're, play, they're, they're running two to three plays fewer than any other team in the NFL this year. Mm-hmm. I think the, I think they are, I would say they are the favorite to me to have the fewest plays run in the NFL next year. That is just not an offense I can get excited about. Not with Pete Carroll there. Not with uh, what they've done with the quarterbacks. This just, I mean, getting Kenneth Walker in round two, signaling like we are a run-first offense. I, I don't know. This is, it is just so unfantasy friendly that they get elevated with Baker, but I, I have decided that, hey, if they couldn't do it last year with Russell Wilson, why are they suddenly going to do it again with a significantly worse quarterback? You, you put out a piece recently on FTN, which was very good, about your post-draft projections and updates, and you touched on a few situations. Maybe you could share your, your, your uh, thoughts on the Philadelphia offense and also uh, Sky Moore with KC. So the Philadelphia offense, uh, this, this is going to be a good offense. Jalen Hurts currently projects as my QB2. I will not have to rank him there because he goes much later, but only Josh Allen is projecting better than him and I mean it makes sense. Jalen Hurts was the QB six in fantasy points per game last year. In his first year as the full time starter, 
and with Quez Watkins and Jalen Rager playing heavy, heavy snaps. Neither of those guys is very good. Devonta Smith was a rookie. Rookies are generally not as good as they are in year two. Now he has year two Devonta Smith. We've got Dallas Goddard. Oh, and then we're just airdropping a top five real life wide receiver in AJ Brown into that offense. This is going to be a pretty filthy offense. At FTN, uh, we had our offensive line guru, Dan Forneck, do offensive line rankings. The Eagles, number one offensive line, according to him, when he looked at all the data, this Eagles team is just going to be so good. I think they're going to steamroll a lot of teams where you won't be able to stop them on the ground and you won't be able to stop them through the air. Jalen Hurts' yards per attempt were actually not half bad last year. I think Hurts is going to flirt with close to eight yards per attempt. I think they're going to throw a little bit more than last year because they have A.J. Brown. And yeah, I just think this is an offense you want to buy into where it's kind of like the year two leap for quarterbacks we often talk about. I think Hurts, you can put him in that bucket because he didn't really play much as in year one. We could very well see Jalen Hurts emerge as like an MVP candidate. I think he's a sneaky bet there. I think the Eagles actually have a better overall roster than the Cowboys at this point. So I, I really think this is a team that you want to invest in. And then the other one was Sky Moore. So I, I kind of went through, the, I went through a little exercise with the Chiefs. I just went through their pass catchers and thought, what, what are my gut reactions? What is the data telling me? What are the trends? Travis Kelsey turns 33 in October. His yards per route run precipitously declined this past season. It was in like the high twos. It was just right around two yards per route run this past year. It was a huge drop off. Again, he's turning 33 in October. Then we have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Wow, three-year, $30 million contract until you realize his career catch rate is below 50% playing with a hyper-accurate quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. His career high target share is 14%. We talk all the time about how it's a weak depth chart at receiver in Green Bay. It's Adams and nobody else. Still, even with Adams and nobody else, he could never command more than 14% of the team's targets Michael Hardman is just an absolute bust. His role becomes more and more gadgety each year. His A dot, it's terrible. His yards per reception is terrible. He's, it's not even like he's some like fun, better in best ball deep threat. He's literally just a low volume gadget player. Cool. We've got him out of the way. Juju Smith-Schuster. He's been on the decline for four years now in terms of all of his efficiency metrics. Last year, he got injured in week five. Prior to that, through four weeks, I know, small sample size, but still, so it's what we have from last year. He was out-targeted by Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Najee Harris. He was fourth on the team in targets. And on top of that, both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool missed one of those first four games. So three games of Claypool, three games of Deontay, four games of Najee Harris, all more targets than Juju through those first four games. So right there, none of these guys is ascending. But then we have Sky Moore. Sky Moore was taken round two in the draft. That is very good. Sky Moore played only two and a half college seasons. Because of COVID, he didn't play much sophomore year. Even as a small school, Western Michigan, early declare, who only had two and a half years on his resume, they still took him in round two. There is just very little precedent for a guy with that type of profile, small school, and under three years of college experience getting drafted this highly. It's because he's really good at football. Sky Moore, I call him the natural. He played quarterback and cornerback in high school. He was brought in to play cornerback at Western Michigan. He was scholarship. 
he, he was there on a scholarship and they said, you know, we don't really know what's going on. You'll probably play cornerback, but we just know that you're, you're someone we want on our football team. As a true freshman, they said, you know what? Actually, maybe we'll just try you at receiver. And then he led the team in receiving yards as a true freshman. Dwayne Eskridge, who went in round two in the NFL, was on that team. Eskridge didn't do anything that year. It was the Sky Moore true freshman show, even though senior Dwayne Eskridge was there. I mean, I cannot talk enough about Sky Moore. He won on the outside. He won in the slot. He is the only ascending player in that offense. You you want exposure to Sky Moore. Like if there's if there's a receiver outside of like the top names like Burks, London, Olave that breaks through this year, it will be Sky Moore. But are, you but also about that, Josh? You didn't sound very confident. No, I I really hate Sky Moore. He's just a terrible player. So yeah, when I did my projections process and I was looking at the data, I was like, wow. Literally everyone is trending down in this passing game except for Sky Moore. And I mean, obviously like there's a chance he doesn't hit. I'm not saying he's guaranteed mm. to hit, but I think that just kind of shows you like what the upside can be where we know Mahomes is going to have some fantasy relevant receivers out there. And if there's only one guy that doesn't have a lot of blemishes on his record, that's the guy that, and he goes pretty late. That is the guy I want very heavy exposure to. Totally makes sense. You also have another series you're doing on FTN called Sleepers uh, Bus and Bets. Um, you've only done a few teams so far. Maybe you could kind of share with us um, something with the Jaguars, Texans, Giants, and Bears. Maybe a, a sleeper, a bust, and a bet between the four teams combined to give a, you know the listeners a taste of what the series is. All right, a sleeper, a bust, and a bet. So for the bet, we'll, we'll go Brandon Cooks on the Texans. Brandon Cooks had a top 10 target share last year. Like He's had many seasons in the past. He's basically a top 20 wide receiver every single year. And in the the nine game the nine full games he played with Davis Mills, he was a wide receiver one. He was getting nine targets a game. He was averaging 16 PPR points a game. Brandon Cooks is an absolute animal in this Houston offense. They give him the extension. Davis Mills is going to once again hyper lock into him. John Mechie's coming off the, the ACL tear. He's a small possession receiver, not really a threat to Cooks. Then we have Nico Collins, who's a, He's an okay, more of a deep threat, open the offense up kind of guy, not taking a lot of targets. Brevin Jordan probably still a few years away. And then the running back room is still just a total mess. This offense is going to be Davis Mills to Brian Cooks. And we literally just saw last year how ridiculous Brian Cooks was in the games he didn't have to play with Tyrod Taylor. So I'll I'll bet on him. Sleeper, Colcomet. What do we talk about every year with breakout tight ends? They need either one or both of these things to happen. A good offense, okay, he doesn't have that. But thankfully, he is either the number one or number two option in his team's passing game. There is literally nobody after Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. Byron Pringle's never sniffed a 10% target share in his career. He's now tw- uh, 28 and a half years old. Do not expect him to suddenly break out and command all these targets. Vilas Jones played six years in college. That to me is just absolutely hilarious. He's already 25. Nope, not going to happen with him. And then next on the depth chart is Equinemius St. Brown. And I mean, I don't even need to talk about him. Career high target share, I think was like 4 or 5%. Anyway, this leads to Cole Komet, who was actually a sneaky efficient tight end. He was top 10 in targets per route run last year. He had the 18% target share. He just didn't happen to score a touchdown, which is very ironic considering his red zone target share was 
over his 18% normal target share. He had like a 19.5% target share in the red zone. So contrary to what people will tell you, Cole Komet was more heavily utilized in the red zone than elsewhere on the field. And the, the route participation was not quite where you wanted it because of Jimmy Graham. Fortunately, Graham is not on the roster. I think Cole Komet is the sneakiest tight end that you can get the absolute latest, who I think realistically can give you 85 receptions, which, I mean, especially if you're an FFPC tight end premium, my goodness, Cole Komet could literally win you your league by giving you 13, 14 fantasy points a game purely on volume. And then if, uh, let's go, for, what is it? The, we need a bust. Hmm. It's actually funny because none of these teams have anyone that's going crazy high at ADP, but I'm trying to remember. I don't even know who my busts were for these. You I can know give the us a giants, preview of, said, a, of a bust on another team that's coming yeah, up. Yeah, I was going to say, I want. know with the Giants, I copped out and I was like, I'm not even going to give anybody a bust. You got the Bills coaching staff coming in. No one's going early. So uh, a bust on another team. Hmm. Who do I think is going to bust? I'll go with Debo. I think Debo Samuel is just, uh, this is not, I don't think he's a good pick in fantasy. We saw him be absolutely ridiculous through several, through the first half of last year. Cool. It was a stretch. Unlike anything he had his first two years in the league, where he's giving you like a 30% target share, which I guess that's really fun. That's awesome. He didn't do that his first two years. And then suddenly they were like, well, you're kind of, kind of be our, our running back and third receiver. He had more carries than targets in the second half of last year. He was out-targeted by both Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle in the final eight games of last year. I just really don't know why I should invest a second-round pick in a player that is not only uh, potentially the third option in his passing game as a receiver, but is switching quarterbacks to Trey Lance, and on top of that, Trey Lance is mobile, and he's going to suck a ton of pass attempts out of the offense. We saw him run eight to 12 times a game as this in the, his limited action as a starter last year. I think he's going to basically be like Jalen hurts, but probably even worse throwing the football than Jalen hurts. We already saw that there was no super fantasy relevant receiver with Jalen hurts last year. What, like what hoops are you having to jump through for Debo Samuel to just be this killer fantasy asset? Again, he had the most ridiculously efficient season. I wrote a huge piece at FTN about it where I was like, if you just split the data this way or that way or this way or that way, how Debo Samuel somehow cobbled together 20 fantasy points a game and 1,700 all-purpose yards is one of the more miraculous things to have ever happened in NFL history for receiver efficiency. This is a guy who has never been healthy for a full season, who uh, we don't even know what his usage is going to be like. He's switching quarterbacks. I, I really just... I don't see any way that Debo Samuel is even sniffing anything close to what he did last year. So for me, in the second round of drafts, I it's just one of the easier passes. Just take Mike Evans. Just take a running back like a Leonard Fournette or just take a tight end like a Mark Andrews. There's just so many better ways, in my opinion, and based on the data, to not have to have Debo Samuel on your fantasy football roster for this season. Love it. Love it. So let's let's talk about a few of the passing offenses if you're if you're doing okay on time here, Josh. Yeah, let, let, let's go a few more minutes. Let's do it. All right, all right. We'll we'll try to hit them quick. Um, you know, we we have a couple where we have uh, you know players that split up: uh, Rashad Bateman and Marquise Brown, uh, one-time teammates. Now now Bateman's uh, got the 
you know, the Ravens and uh, Brown has moved on to the Cardinals. What are your expectations for those two? So I think I've Bateman, I think he's going to be in the low twenties for his target share. I don't think he's going to be a league winner type player, but I think he's a good pick just in terms of there's really not that many good wide receivers this year. I, I've, I've looked in, I feel like all of a sudden round seven hits and there's no receivers I'm excited about. It's basically just like, Oh, I'll draft some rookies. And then I like Russell Gage because I think he's going to be the wide receiver too until Godwin comes back. But then other than that, I'm like, there is no one in redraft that I'm actually wanting to start. And Bateman is someone that I would be willing to start and be excited about it. So I don't think that he is necessarily winning you your league, but I think that he's a really nice contributing part of your roster that you can get off in the sixth round. Marquise Brown, I also think he's just a good contributor for your roster. He's probably not going to win you your league, but he is one of, uh, I think it's one of four, if not five receivers. I think uh, he's one of, I think he's one of five receivers to have a 25% or higher target share the past two seasons. And I think a lot of people don't realize that his target share has been so high because the Ravens prior to last year were so run heavy. But I think it shows that Marquise Brown does command a high percentage of his team's targets. So I actually kind of like both of them. Uh, other guys on the move. Uh, I'm looking at the show sheet. So you had yep. so you probably- Raiders. Raiders. We had uh, Devontae Adams moving there. Uh, so what, what do you what do you think the the breakdown is going to be between uh, Adams Waller and uh, Renfro? So let me, I'll, I'll pull up my projections right now. Let's look at this. So I think that the, if there's a loser, it's going to be Renfro. Renfro towards the end of the season actually started to fade and was getting out snapped, out route ran, and out targeted by Zay Jones. You can just go through the game logs and it's like, wow, Hunter Renfro is giving you worse production than Zay Jones. I think that's concerning that his high-end production was when Waller was out. And then when suddenly Zay Jones shows up off the scrap heap, he even begins to carve out a better role. So I think Adams and Waller definitely eat before Renfro. Uh, in terms of target shares, let's see what I have. I so my I think my most likely assumptions, I, I have Devontae Adams at 26%. And I have Darren Waller at 22%. So I have Darren Waller firmly in the elite tight end zone. I have Devontae Adams firmly in the wide receiver one zone, but not the the wide receiver one league winning, like top three, top four zone. So I think both Adams and Waller should be fine, but I think Waller's the one that's undervalued if we're, if there's a guy to really target there. I think there's a lot of cases where Waller is just the, the overall tight end one this year. And I, I think that people don't realize that even in his quote down year last year, he was still getting you like a 25% target share. He was still ridiculously fast with next gen stats. Darren Waller is still in the prime of his career. He's going to be giving you 20% of the targets in a high volume, very competent, high scoring offense. You want Darren Waller. So I, I think he's just the perfect early round tight end to target where you can often get him at the three, four turn and non tight end premium. And in tight end premium, it's like, Hey, he there, like, there's a case for Darren Waller to be a late round one pick in tight end premium, but you can get him generally at the two, three turn. So Josh will have a lot of Jalen Hurts and a lot of Darren Waller this year. It's one of the big. Tickets. I'm going to yes. I, those are two players that I'm I'm very confident have that that league winning type upside that you're looking for. All right. Are, are the there Miami, any the Miami wide receiver room, Dan? Want to hit that one? Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. that one's big. So I have a very unpopular take here. Apparently, I mean, every, everyone's kind of decided that this is the Tyree Kill show because they traded a lot of picks for him, and it's Tyree Kill. 
Tyreek Hill hasn't really been this crazy high target share guy for most of his career. And he's late 20s, relying on speed. And if you look like the yards after catch per reception, there's a lot of stats where they've actually gone down for Tyreek Hill. I am kind of on team Waddle because he goes a decent bit later. And we just saw him have a historic rookie season. He had the most receptions by a rookie receiver ever. He gave you the 25% target share. And I feel like people are like, oh, look at his average depth of target. Oh, look at who he's competing against. And I'm like, that's fine. There have been a ton of receivers out there as rookies that had a lower depth of target or didn't have target competition. None of them were doing what, what Jalen Waddle did. And I will always defer to the young ascending player. So for me, I have them very similar in my projections. I think they're both going to hover around 25% of the targets. I kind of would prefer Jalen Waddle at cost. Like if I'm going to project them, like, yeah, I'll have with the track record, Tyreek Hill a touch above. But to me, it seems like with where they go, I'm getting more Jalen Waddle in my drafts. And I feel like I'm one of the few analysts out there that's come to that conclusion. Everyone's on team Tyreek. And I'm like, I don't know. I think they're going to have similar amount of targets. And like, you're talking about this Tyreek Hill track work. And I'm like, yeah, his high target share kind of only materialized for the first time last season. And he was competing with Travis Kelsey in a bag of bones at the rest of the receiver positions. Jalen Waddle is, I think an elite talent. He was a top 10 pick crushed as a rookie. I'm like, why are we betting against that guy? So he's one where I think, compared to all these industry sharps, I, I pretty firmly disagree. Like I, I want some Jalen Waddle on my teams and I'm just like, why, why are you betting against that profile? To me, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, any Packers receivers worth drafting? Uh, I think you should, I think you should take shots occasionally on them. I think there's a chance. I mean, there, there's going to be touchdown passes there. I just don't know how consistent it'll be. In best ball, I like trying to leave every other draft, give or take, with some Packers receiver, whether it's Lazard, Watson, even someone like Randall Cobb really late. Like I think you just want like the occasional Packers receiver exposure, but I'm much more interested in the running backs. I think Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are going to be a huge part of the offense. I don't like Aaron Rodgers in fantasy, and I just don't love any of those Packers receivers. I think if you're going to draft one, I would go with Lazard. Watson still just very, very raw as a prospect. His prospect profile, in fact, looks pretty much like a carbon copy of Marquez Valdez Scantling. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, like, why, why is he not just going to get the Marquez Valdez Scantling role in round one? Like for, for year one, he was never a super high target share guy. He had really weak competition in North Dakota State. Just doesn't feel like the guy that's going to crush it as a rookie. So I'm like, all right, I don't think Lazard's this high target share guy either, but at least we've seen him have big games. So he is my my Packers receiver of choice, but the, these are distant options after Jones and Dylan for me. Okay, totally makes sense. So I have uh, I I have a bet with a friend. Uh, it's uh, let's see, Drake London versus uh, Christian Watson uh, for the rookie year only. So I, I would go London here. I, I think he's just going to get way more targets. I, I think if I had to bet on who gets more 20 fantasy point weeks, which is kind of a random thing, maybe I'd go Watson, or at least it's closer. But I, I don't think there's any way that Drake London doesn't get 20% or more of the team's targets. 
I don't know if that necessarily materializes, like I said earlier, to some crazy elite fantasy production, but I think there's pretty much no world that Christian Watson is some league-winning player starting in year one. There you go. You hear that, Terp? You're going down. You're going down, Terp. (laughs) (laughs) Just had to get that in there. I'll make sure you listen. Uh, All right. And uh, any any other uh, receiver rooms you want to hit real quick, Theo? No, I'm. I think we. I think we covered them all. Um, trying to think if there's it. No, I think we got them all. Okay, sounds good. Um, Josh, last question. We'll get you out of here. Um, you know, any pivots that you find uh, really interesting? Uh, whether you're talking redraft or dynasty, where you, you feel like you know the ADP is really similar, but you you think that there's just a significant difference between a couple players. Or, you know, players where you're, you're getting the arbitrage version, like, uh, you know, you can get the same thing three or four rounds later um, than a player who's being drafted earlier. Any examples of that? So I think Thielen is discount Mike Evans. These are receivers on good offenses that should get a lot of touchdowns. They're very heavily used in the red zone. So if you miss on Evans, you can always grab Thielen. And then the discount Thielen is Russell Cage. Because... <laughs> nice. Russell Gage, I know he's not like it's weird to compare Evans to Thielen to Gage, but just in terms of if you want exposure to a really good offense and a player that's going to be giving you a 20% target share, I don't know when Godwin's going to come back. He's probably coming back mid season. Mm-hmm. Russell Gage is just going to be firmly entrenched in the number two role there. He had a 22% target share last year. He didn't play receiver much in college, so he's kind of transitioning to that role and getting better each year. I just can't stop drafting Russell Gage in best ball. And I think in dynasty, if you're a contender, you need Russell Gage on your team. There is no cheaper access to a likely top 24 PPR option than Russell Gage. He is going to smash in fantasy this year. We saw last year, any receiver that's getting heavy snaps on the Bucks is going to kill it in fantasy. Tom Brady hand-selected Russell Gage. He saw that suddenly this guy was being leaned on and often outproducing Kyle Pitts last year. And I, I just don't understand how Russell Gage fails because you know he's going to be on the field for at least 70, 80% of the snaps. And we just saw how fruitful the Antonio Brown role can be or the Chris Godwin role can be, whether he's in the slot, out wide. He's going to be getting six, seven, eight, nine targets a game. And I think he's I think Gage is the sneakiest receiver that can realistically give you 15 PPR points a game. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, we've, uh, we've managed to keep Josh around here for uh, a buck 45. And uh, we, we, we thank you for sticking with us that long. We, we got you on the rack. We grilled you pretty good. I think we made you give up most of your secrets, maybe not quite all of them, but uh, you know, if, if you were listening, um, if, if you didn't come out of here with a better idea of how to take down a best ball tournament, how to, how to draft effectively, um, uh, you just weren't listening. You need to, to go back and listen again, because there was a lot of great stuff in here. Uh, and we, we really appreciate you putting in all the time. Um, uh, so, you know, we're not sure if it's three and a half or four and a half times you've been here, but for sure, uh, we're, we're, it's going to be five and a half or six and a half times, uh, soon. So. We're going to get you back on here again, Josh, uh, before too long and uh, definitely get you in here before the season starts for sure, uh, if you're willing. So we we appreciate uh, all the time that you've put in. Uh, and also, J.D. will eventually be back. Uh, we're, we're sorry he was not able to be with us this week, but uh, 
he, he's had one of those weeks at work where just everything's going on and uh, it's pretty tough to get away. So we understand that, you know, between work and family and everything else. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see him back next week. But uh, Josh, any words on the way out? Uh, anything else you want to plug? Just the, the, the floor is yours. Uh, I'll just mention again that I've got the underdog best ball guide coming out next week on FTN. And I, th- I think the marquee part of it is that I'm going to have my, my top 216. So 12, 12 players in or 12 teams in a draft room, 20 rounds in the, or 18 rounds in the underdog draft. Wow. Clearly I'm already butchering this. What's, what is going on anyway? It's a top 216 list. That's how many, that's how many players get drafted in these underdog drafts. And a lot of people give you their rankings and they're like, here's who I'm above or below consensus on. I am actually going to give you full one to two paragraphs for every player breaking down some key stats I'm looking at that make me think this is a sleeper. This guy is upside. This guy has no upside kind of why I think that that way you can fully understand the rankings better. And then you can also make your own decisions, which I think is very important where you can hear my reasoning and you might love a player. I hate, and you, you hear my reasoning and you go, you know what? I understand that, but I disagree. Cool. Then you can keep drafting. him, Or you might go, wow, that changed how I thought about the player. I'm not going to draft him anymore. I think that's, what's really important is just being able to think differently about these players and to better understand my thought process. And so I think, getting really in depth with other people out there's thought processes is so important because I think it just makes you more well-rounded. I like learning how others think about these players. So this is your, this is going to be the best opportunity for everyone to see inside my mind and how I've been thinking about these players the last two months. So I, I think that that is all there is. That is what it, that's my, my, my month's work this past May. So Dan, Theo, thank you. Wonderful as always to be on here. So appreciate it. No, it was awesome. We really appreciate it, Josh. And uh, everybody listening, have a wonderful Memorial Day. Um, and we're going to bring you some fire in June. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to Josh, Adam Harstead. We've had some tremendous guests uh, this May. Um, and we're really excited about what's going to happen this summer in the GOAT District. Yep. Going to be a ton of fun. So, Theo, anything else? Um, so, again, next Tuesday, we've got the, uh, the Hardway Draft. Make sure you're tuning in for that. And with that, we will check you all later. Go district. <laughs> bleat a ball, bleat a ball, bleat a ball, bleat, bleat ball, and I bleat a ball, bleat. I ball, it's the code bleep, district, y'all. I ball, cause I bleed, 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 hey. Bleeding, I ball, defeated the eyes, didn't see him at all. JD in the pies, I needed it all. Bleeded a lie, you bleeded a lie, not bleeded a lie. And that's what a goat do. Facts, let me show you. Happen to know, dude. Strapped and they don't do bad and they don't lose. Make you wanna bleed, bleed, bleed. It's the goat district, boys, giving you the business. And no gimmicks, the best ball drafts got me feeling like it's Christmas. Then it's Christmas all of a sudden, and these riches came from nothing. And I got this all from loving the district. See, I just drafted, forget it. I laugh at the critics, they mad at the digits. I clap back by listening. See, balling ain't a problem if you kick it with them often. I refresh the feet till autumn, then I bleep, 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 go.